you come to yet another one of my favorite scriptures. <laughs> Second Kings chapter 22. So if you want to open up 2 Kings 22. 2 Kings 22, we're introduced to the final, the last good king Judah will ever have. And after, after Judah uh, uh, has Josiah, after Josiah's reign, there will be two bad kings, and then they'll be in Babylon. And uh, so we're coming that close. We're that close to the, the judgment that God had been speaking to his people from, you know, for nearly 400 years uh, of their failing and, and stumbling and falling. But as we look at Josiah, what I love about the story of Josiah and why Josiah is one of my favorite kings, <clears throat> he lays out to me seven steps to revival. I think Josiah does more in terms of radical transformation than anybody else. Uh, whether or not the people follow them is irrelevant. I think for the, whatever, 30 years-ish that, that uh, Josiah is going to rule and reign, um, I think he, he gave everybody their last great opportunity to be right, to, to get things right, to get their lives right and on track with what God was doing. So as we look at him and as we... As we see the, the story unfold, it's such an exciting story. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's long been, uh, I don't know, probably every preacher on the face of the earth, I guess, likes to and longs to preach and talk and pray for revival. Maybe some of you guys remember a fellow named Gypsy Smith. Gypsy Smith was a... One of the, the old time preachers during time of revival. And some people came to him one night after he had a, a tent, a big tent revival, big tent meeting. And they came to him and said, Gypsy, we want to see revival in our, in our town. We want to see God do amazing things in our town. And we're longing for just this move of God to take place. What's the secret? What do we need to do to bring revival? And I thought what Gypsy Smith had to say was kind of interesting. He said, you go home, go into your bedroom and close the door. You grab a piece of chalk and drop a, draw a circle on the floor. Then you kneel down in that circle and you ask God to start revival there. If you want to bring revival, it's going to start always. Well, one person who gives themselves wholly, totally. 1904, there was in Wales a fella working in the mines, just a regular guy, not even a preacher. And he just kind of came face to face with the reality of God and his grace one day. And he decided he couldn't be down in those mines anymore. So he, he did the work he needed to do. But when he was done, he'd go stand in the street. No church, no building. He stood in the street and preached. In Wales. 
1904. One year later, every single bar in Wales was closed. But the church never marched or picketed, never taught of the evils of being drunk or the lifestyle. All they did was fall in love with Jesus, one person at a time. And one by one, people just stopped going. Today, most of the churches in Wales are bars. And things are well, coming back around. See, as you read the word of God, you'll discover that's always the pattern of God's people. Whether it's a nation of Israel or you and I. See, every generation is responsible for their revival to God. And nobody gets to run on mom and dad's or grandma and grandpa's. Or that old time revival from the times past. Everyone in their generation is responsible for their generation. That, that they make that choice. And without making that same choice that that miner made in Wales. Revival don't come. It's no different for the nation of Israel. They're following the worst king in their history and his son. And now they're coming to Manasseh's great-grandson. And he's only eight. You ever think, well, you know what? God can't do nothing with me. I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm not important enough. Sometimes. Eight years old when Josiah became king. Look what it says. And he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidiah. Everybody remember that name? Jedidiah, remember? It means beloved. It was God's pet name for Solomon. The daughter of Adai of Bosketh. Look at verse 2. And he did what? Was right. In the eyes of the Lord. And he walked in the ways of his father David. And that's great, 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 great grandpa. He did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. I like that phrase. He did not turn aside to the right hand or the left. Let me tell you why I like it. Because in our world today, there's a lot of things about people talk about the right and the left. You know what I'm talking about? The, the conservatives on the right and the liberals on the left. Let me try to clarify that for you. They're both wrong. They're both wrong. The conservatives spend all their time wondering, why, how, how are we losing the youth, the young people of the world? Why are so many young people going to school and, and coming back liberals? And we can make all the excuses about liberal schools. I don't know if that's it. You know what young people want? Young people want a cause. They want a cause. They want to believe they can save a world. Save a tree. Stop global warming. What is it all? It's a cause. 
Don't you remember in those days when you wanted a cause? When you wanted a story bigger than your life? Like there was something bigger, I could be a part of some bigger story? You know, the story they really want to be a part of is the relationship that they long for with Jesus Christ. You know where that runs? Right down the middle. It ain't on the right. And it ain't on the left. It is right down the middle. It is made up of people who are right and who are left. Right down the middle. He did not go right. He did not go left. He stayed right down the middle. Right down the middle, he walked with the Lord. He didn't vary one way or the other. You guys know, we can all do a good thing too far one way or another and watch it turn south. You ever seen that happen? Where good things, people start good intentions, good, what's the saying? The the road to hell is paved with what? Good intentions, right? Because people were trying to do something else, but they ended up on a different road. Josiah reigned 31 years. Started when he was eight years old, and he wanted to give himself wholly to God. Totally. And his reign starts slow, as you can imagine, as he grows, as he gets older. It says in verse 3 that it came to pass in the 18th year. So roughly a little better than halfway through Josiah's reign. He's a whopping 26 years old. It came to pass in the 18th year of King Josiah that the king sent Shaphan the scribe, the son of Azaliah, the son of Meshulam, to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiah the high priest. That he may count the money which has been brought into the house of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have gathered from the people, and let them deliver it into the hand of those doing the work. Those who are the overseers in the house of the Lord, let them give it to those who are in the house of the Lord doing the work to repair the damages of the house to the carpenters and builders and masons to buy timber and hewn stone To repair the house of God. Step one to revival. Revival always begins with repairing the temple of God. Well, we don't have a temple anymore, do we? Oh, what does it say? Don't you know that your bodies are the temple of God? Repairing the breaches, the doors that are busted, windows that are broke. I don't know why it is we go through life and we have this concept that, uh, you know, we want to show everybody that we got it all together. So maybe I can lay you at ease. I don't believe none of you got it all together. I believe every one of you has got deep hurts that have happened to you in the past, maybe not too far distant. I believe every one of you got issues and struggles in your life. And if we want to see 
like Gypsy said, we want to draw that circle in our room and we want to climb in that circle, then it's going to begin with repairing the breaches in the temple. The, the things in us. The issues that we have. The things that we keep burying somewhere under a bucket and saying, oh, I'm fine. I'm okay. I'm good. But we don't deal with it. We just hide it. Now, not everybody who hides that runs to alcohol or drugs. Do you know that? Not everybody runs to drugs or alcohol or some other thing. But we all got something. Some deep grief, some issue, some emotional distress, some struggle. Maybe we're angry with God, angry with a brother, angry with a sister. If we want to see revival in our life, it starts with repairing the breaches in the house of God. And that includes falling in love with him again. See, God can't work anywhere where there's not love. Isn't that what he told us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13? Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and I have not love, what's it do? Promise me nothing. If I have all knowledge, does it profit me anything? Without love? No. If I have, what if I have faith? So much faith that I can say to that mountain, be cast into the sea, and it is. He said, profits me nothing, because I don't have love. I don't have love. That's an issue in our temples sometimes. So what do we do for ours? You know, he could send laborers, and they could look. And it was easy in that temple, because they'd walk up, and, and there's a busted window. We need to fix the window. It's a little tougher inside of you. In your life. How do we do it? What do, what do we do about it? I like what Jesus said in Matthew. When he, when he talks about the man coming to the altar to offer his gift to God. You guys remember? And he says, as he's offering his gift to the Lord. The Lord reminds him that there's someone who has a problem with him. You remember? And, and Jesus said, forget the gift you were given to God. And first go and be reconciled to your brother. And then come back. I think we need to be honest. They had guys that went, walked around the temple and inspected it. I think we got to be honest with what's going on in our life. I think we need to stand before the altar of God. Kneel before the altar of God. Call upon the Lord and say, God, what did, what did David say? Test me. Check me. Search throughout my life and see what? If there's any wicked way and do what lead me in the way everlasting right lead me show me now what david said what i think it applies in our life too we want to see revival i want to see revival in my life but i got to be willing to do that i got to be willing to do it i got to be willing to say you know howard come to me a while back and he said jackie i need somebody to do uh, life's healing choices, which is basically celebrate recovery. Um, uh, how do you put it? Uh, not magnified. Not. What'd you say? Gentler. Gentler. It's anyways. You get the idea. Condensed. Kind of. I don't know. There's a lot of things, but you're still going through the same stuff. Because people say CR, go to CR, and and and. 
What do you do? What, do you guys even know the first step in CR? I know everybody's all uptight about 12-step. Uh, let, me, let me tell it to you this way. Um, every one of you took more than one step to get to Jesus. The, the most important step was the Jesus step. You guys with me? But there was a lot of other steps in between, wasn't there? You know, like the day you woke up and said, wow, what am I doing here? Oh, yeah, that's, that's step one. My life's unmanageable. Whoa. I, I can't solve my own problems. Come to the realization that there's a God out there and that I matter to him. Well, that's the second step. Third step is deciding I'm going to commit my, my life to him. See, it's, it's all the same. We all have those things. If we're going to see real revival take place, we have got to... I'm not saying dredge up all the garbage from your past. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about dealing with the stuff that you're pretending is not there. Or that you say, I'm okay with. Or I'm, I just have made a choice that I'm not going to think about it anymore. That's great if you're free. Praise God. Because guess what? There's something else somewhere down the line God's going to open up. That's good. That means he, he, you're, you're able for him, like the potter when he's working on that, on that vase, right? He sticks his arm down in that vase and he pulls out all the stuff he don't need. He throws that off on the side. If you think that's the last time he's going into that vase up to his elbow, well, he's going in again, right? Until it's ready. And that's what the Lord does to us and that's what we need to long for. We need to long for the repairing of the breaches in my life, in this temple. Look what he says in verse 7. He says, however, there need be no accounting made with them of the money delivered to their hand because they deal faithfully. Josiah said, hey, these guys are faithful men. I'm not worried about an accounting. Let's just get it done. Get the job done. See what's needed and fix it. Fix it. Then Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. Step two to revival. The rediscovery of God's word. As we have that, uh, I don't know, that... That moment with God when, when God is, is purging us and cleansing us and healing us and setting us free from our, our habits and hangups and issues in our life, then the natural step, the natural thing that occurs next is we rediscover God's word. Where did they find it? They found it in the house of the Lord, right? Huh. You know, you can still find it there. Every Sunday, Wednesday, Sunday night, uh, and Monday, and probably somewhere on Tuesday, definitely on Thursday, um, sometimes on Friday, for sure on Saturday, and then we're back to Sunday again. So it's there. Where'd they find it? 
In the house of the Lord, in the house of the Lord, they found the book of the law. And what did they do with it? They, they found the, this is the only copy. Apparently, during the time of Manasseh and that fellow after him, they kept wiping out the word. And we know Manasseh, you know, <clears throat> tried to recover at the end of his life, but it wasn't quite enough to get his kid on track. And there was one copy left. And they found it. And the first thing they did is they bought a museum. And they put it in glass in a museum, and they charged people a couple of bucks to come see it. What did they do with it? They read it. What good is the word of God if you're not reading it? Does it work by osmosis? If I lay this by my bed, do the truths in this shoot into my head? I wish it worked that way. It gave me more time to, to read something else, I guess, that if I could just lay or sleep on it. But you actually got to open it. Oh, my goodness, you're kidding. No, really. The second step to revival is rediscovering the Word of God and, and once again, falling in love with God's Word. What does God want you to do? He wants you to read it. Look at verse 9. So Shaphan the scribe went to the king, bringing the king word, saying, Your servants have gathered the money that was found in the house and delivered it to the hand of those who are going to do the work, who oversee the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan the scribe showed the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. Oh, they didn't just show it to him and say, Look what we found. found a Bible. He sat down and read it to him. He sat down and read it to Josiah. And that leads to step three. Or oh, that's repentance from error. See, when you read God's word, you'll discover where your life no longer matches up to what God's word says. There are a lot of people that think God's word needs to change to us. So uh, I would like to settle that for you for all time. No. Your life needs to change to it. Well, Jackie, that was written 2,000 years ago, and we don't do stuff like that anymore. You know, everybody lives together before they get married. Well, if you want to get in alignment with God's Word, that's got to change. It don't change to us. What do we do? We change to it, right? We changed it. Look exactly what happened. It happened when the king heard the words of the book of the law. He did what? He tore his clothes. The king heard. He, now, he had never heard it before. So he's sitting there, and most people believe what he's listening to is the book of Deuteronomy. And I'll show you why in a minute. But the, as Deuteronomy goes through what's going to happen to the nation if they fall into idolatry and basically do all the things that they're doing now. And he hears that, and he's like, what did that say? Are you kidding me? He tears his, his clothes. He tears his clothes as a, a, a step of abject humiliation, sorrow, uh, uh, making yourself humble before the sight of God, declaring that I am wrong. And what was it about? He knew his nation was sideways. He knew his nation was sideways. Anybody wondering about that today? Do we wonder? Oh, how about the world? Is the world sideways? So, 
I don't know. I'm pretty sure. I never thought that one day a, a soldier walking down the road would have to worry in his own hometown about two guys of another religious persuasion deciding to run him down with the car. And then crashing into a a light pole, jumping out of the car with meat cleavers and cutting his head off in the middle of the road in front of everybody who was watching. If you think that's from a movie, you're crazy. That was like three days ago. And the cameras rolled for like 20 minutes on these two Muslim guys talking about why that guy had to die. While their blood is dripping off of their arms as they hold two bloody meat cleavers. After the medical examiner did the the coroner's report, he said he did not die from injuries sustained by getting hit by the car. He was killed by the meat cleavers. Do you know, that story don't sound all that unfamiliar to stuff I read in here. Does it to you? You ever read the Old Testament and say, oh, that would never happen. I'm so glad we're civilized today. Are we really? That's our world. Oh, we can make all kinds of, we can say, oh, it's a, those, those crazy people in Islam. Yeah. That's just one problem with that. You know those crazy people from Islam? You, never, you know where they learned the phrase holy war? From the church. Well, you remember it was about the year 1000 and the church was sending soldiers over to the, to the holy land to, to get the holy land out of the hands of the infidels. Heard that phrase before, right? And so the Pope declared to all those soldiers, whatever you do in the name of God is not a sin. You are absolved of any guilt. You go do whatever you have to do to win. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 6, Whatsoever a man sows, that will he also reap. What's the, what's the law of sowing and reaping? Well, if you sow one seed, how many do you reap? Yeah, a lot more. But we could be all frustrated and we could spend the rest of the night trying to figure out whose fault it is. We have a job to do. Those two men on that street, if they came to know and have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Does that change it? I can make all kind of laws. So we think, man, some missionary needs to go. Somebody needs to go reach out and touch them. And, you know, we know Pastor Saeed started probably a hundred home fellowships in Iran, which is pretty, right, last I checked, right in the middle of all that stuff, isn't it? 
But revival don't start with Saeed. Who's it start with? Me. Me. In the circle, right? If I am dealing with the breaches in my temple, the issues in my temple, it's going to lead me to a love of God's word, a rediscovery of God's word, a rediscovery of the things that it teaches and says. It's going to cause me to fall more in love with him every day, right? And then as I, as I fall in love with him, as I fall in love with the word, it's going to, it's going to show me where my life is out of, off track with him, won't it? If, if the church was spending less time picketing, marching, fighting over what is or isn't marriage or what it, when life does or doesn't begin. And not that I'm saying those things are right. That's not what I'm saying. If the church would fall back in love with the word of God, and allow the word of God to change them as individuals, show them their error as individuals, make their lives, make our lives more in line with what God's word really teaches, then when we go and talk to somebody about a decision they're about to make, they're not going to look at me and all they can see is hypocrite. Right? Because my life is in alignment with God's word. Getting in alignment with God's word. That, that's the third thing that happens. And then as we get in alignment with God's word, it takes us right into the fourth step. Look at verse 13. So go inquire the Lord for me, for the people in all Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is aroused against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. Step four, a request for instruction. Somebody help me. Help me. How, how, how am I supposed to walk? How do I do this, this stuff? I see my life is not in alignment with God's word. How do I get right? How do I get on track? How do I get on, on where I need to go? What they do? It says right here that they, they sought for a word from who? They sought for a word from the Lord. I was kind of interested in this part as I, as I was studying this part because Hilkiah the priest is the one who found the word of the law. You guys remember Hilkiah the priest? Fella, probably the priest at the temple. Seems like a natural place to go when you think about it until you read where they went. It says, so Hilkiah the priest and Ahikam and Achbor and Shaphan and Asiah went to Hulda, the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikva, the son of Harhas, keeper of the wardrobe. <laughs> she dwelt in Jerusalem in the second quarter, and they spoke with her. Now, I don't know if that don't trip you out. It kind of trips me out. See, what they did, he said, go inquire the Lord. And you know what they did? They thought of the most godly person they could think of, and it was a prophetess named Hulda. And they went to her. And she inquired of the Lord for him. 
You know, sometimes we get hung up on lots of rules and regulations. Are you aware of that? And people often think, well, I'm uh, uh, too young, too old, wrong sex. I can't be involved in this or that or I can't do this. All I know is Hulda was a prophetess. And she's the one who gave God's requirement, what God wanted from Josiah when he was being revived, when his soul is being revived as he's discovering the word of God, realizing the nation is sideways. He goes to God, God, how do I get on track? She's the one who gives him the word to get back on track. If you think that you cannot receive the word from someone, Man, you're going to miss it. I have received the word of God from some crazy places. Oh, it's got to be from, and it better, he better have enough credentials. Where did he study? How, how, does, he, how does he do with uh, uh, conjugating the Greek verbs? <laughs> Whatever. Relax a little. You know what? When God speaks to me, in case you didn't know this, he doesn't talk to me in Greek. No, not even Hebrew. When the Lord speaks to me, when the Lord lays something on my heart, it's uh, pretty clear. Pretty clear. Man, you've got to have eyes to be able to receive instruction from wherever it comes. If you think you can only receive it from someplace, you're going to miss that eight-year-old kid who comes up to you and gives you that nugget that day while you're thinking, you know, oh, what am I going to do? Ah, how many times have you had a little child come up to you, you know, not even knowing anything that's going on, and in their manner or in the things that they say, just speak to your spirit like they're talking for God? I can't even tell you how many times that's happened. One time I got rebuked. You ever been rebuked? Oh, that's when somebody says things to you you don't want to hear. That's called rebuke. Yeah, I taught a message one time and I got rebuked by this old fella. He come up and he, and he I was always there. He, he was there for the whole time. Every time I taught Sunday nights at JS, the, you know, for the whole whatever, umpteen years. He was there always. He sat right over here on this side at, at JS, that side. And, and I got done and we'd stand up front while the people sang songs and folks would come up and want to pray. And he'd come up. I think he wants to pray. And he rebuked me, man. He just lit me up. He did not like that sermon, man. And I remember the, the thing, the, the voice in my head. I remember, you remember David when he was... Leaving Jerusalem, and there was that fella. What was his name? Stand, huh? No, the fella standing on the hill cursing him. Thanks, you didn't know either. That's okay. What's well, good? I, I'm this good. I stump you. When you remember, you let me know. So, anyway, he's over on that hill. He's over on this hill, and he's a hollering at David, telling David, "You big knucklehead! You're ugly, and your mama dressed you funny." You guys remember what I'm talking about? And uh, and and. Uh, David's right hand, he goes, hey, let me go over there and cut that dude's head off. And David said, no. How do you know that that God's not speaking through him to me right now? 
And I, I remember that when that fellow told me that. And so I said, you know, I'm going to listen to what he says. How do I know God didn't tell him, go tell that preacher to knock that off. And so he come up and he told me, knock it off. And so I did. I knocked it off. I had another sermon to do right after that. So, you know, at JS, they stack them up back to back to back. So, so but we never know where that instruction is going to come from. We never know. And I don't never turn a deaf ear. I don't care if the dude talking to me is the, the craziest pagan devil worshiper. Do you know that God can talk to them, through them? In case you didn't know, Caiaphas, who definitely is not a believer, if, in case anybody was wondering, Caiaphas is one of the dudes who put Jesus on the cross, the, the high priest during that time. Well, Caiaphas prophesied. It says, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he prophesied and said, it is expedient that one man die for the nation. So God spoke through him. And, by the way, there's that little story with Balaam and the donkey. Okay? So between all those, we should be able to understand, instruction can come from any place in any way that God wants to bring it to us. But that, that step, that, that fourth part in revival, is looking for instruction. Lord, help me. Where is that instruction going to come from? Maybe it's going to come from a sermon. Maybe it's going to come from a radio song that you listen to. Maybe it's going to come from a phone call. Somebody calls you on the phone. Maybe it's going to come from someplace you don't expect. But you better be requesting the radars up. Do, 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 do. Where is that instruction? Tuning in to the voice of God. Where is God speaking? And she said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, tell the man who sent you to me. So tell Josiah, thus says the Lord, behold, I will bring calamity on this place and on its inhabitants. All the words of the book with the, which the king of Judah has read. Because they forsaken me, they burned incense to other gods. That they might provoke me to anger and all the works of their hands. Therefore, my wrath shall be aroused against this place and shall not be quenched. He said, tell Josiah, judgment is coming, and I'm not stopping it. Nothing is going to stop judgment. Is the message in our world any different? Have you read the book of Revelation? Because if you've spent any time reading the book of Revelation, and you come from the mindset that the book of Revelation is future and not past, if you think the book of Revelation is past, you need to come on Thursday night's to the fellows when we're studying and we'll help get you back on to seeing it as future but if you understand the book of revelation is future what's coming that's judgment right is something going to stop that that judgment's coming no matter what right same exact word that josiah got the word of god is telling us judgment's coming judgment is coming nothing will stop or forestall the judgment of God. The judgment of God is going to come. It is going to fall. But look. Look what she said. But as for the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire the Lord, in this manner you will speak to him. Thus says the Lord God of Israel concerning the words which you have heard. Because your heart was tender, and you humbled yourself before the Lord, when, when you heard that I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they would become a desolation and a curse, and, and you tore your clothes and you wept before me, 
I also have heard you, says the Lord. Therefore, I will gather you to your fathers, and you'll be gathered to your grave in peace. And your eyes shall not see all the calamity that I will bring on this place. So they brought back word to the king. What did he tell the king? Oh, he told the king, don't worry, you're, you're not going through it. You're, you're not going to go through that judgment. You're not. You're going to die before that judgment comes. Well, I suppose then the, the motivation of the king was like, Whew, wow, Whew. that's good. I was a little worried about that, you know. I don't want to go through all that judgment stuff and blood and guts and the crazy things going on. So, whew, okay, good, cool, I'm good, right on. I'll just cruise through life. And uh, you think that was Josiah, where Josiah was? So even though he's not going to go through it, did that change the job he had to do? Oh, you're saying, I don't know, the chapter ended. Well, don't worry, we're going to do a chapter in 10 minutes. You'll see. You're hoping, huh? Now the king sent them to gather all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem to him. And the king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah, with him and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests, the prophets, all the people, both small and great. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant which they had found in the house of the Lord. Oh, well, he read to all the people the word of God. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? Brings us to step five. When you come, you receive instruction, you recognize your life is out of whack, you're sideways, there's error in your life, you're looking for that instruction from the Lord, boom, there's that instruction from the Lord. Then what happens? You respond outwardly. What did Josiah do? <laughs> he, st- he stands out in front of all the people and starts reading them the word, what the Bible says about the judgment that's coming. And about the change that needs to happen in their life. You see, he wasn't satisfied that I'm okay. It wasn't just about him now. It was about all them people. Well, what's going to happen to all those people? Well, well, his revival had begun, right? He's on step five. They're maybe going to be on one and somebody else may be on two. And somebody over here may be on three. It all starts individually, right? But, but it's like a fire, man. It's like a fire. Listen kind of Christianity that we see around us most of the time will melt in revival. That ain't nothing. That ain't nothing. There's so much more. There's so much more that God wants to work and do. And Josiah is a burning bush right now standing before the people reading the word. And then it says, the king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commandments. Why? He's already done that personally, didn't he? But what's he doing now? He's standing before all the people. And he's showing all the people outwardly. He's showing them, man, Lord, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to do what you want me to do. I'm going to follow your commandments. I'm going to keep your testimonies and statutes. He says, with all his heart, with all his soul, to perform the words of the covenant that were written in the book, and all the people took a stand for the covenant. All the people got excited about seeing him, excited about giving his life to the Lord. You ever notice when you're around a new believer, somebody who's really on fire with the Lord, did it get you fired up? Have you ever noticed that? See, that's what I mean by the fire revival will melt the Christianity that we have, the the. 
the the you know what I mean? Not not that we're not saved or we don't have it, but that but but that sometimes we get complacent, comfortable, you know, in day to day. And and so that just begins that fire just begins to rumble. And you remember when the fires were out here? Once that fire gets going, it just starts gobbling up everything around it, right? That's what revival does. The fire starts gobbling, and it starts gobbling us. One, two, five, ten, fifteen people out in the community, people at the gas station, in Walmart, wherever you are, that fire goes with you, and it just starts igniting people all over the place. And the next thing you know, your whole entire community is radically changed because one person drew a circle in their bedroom, crawled in it, and said, Start with me. Start with me. It got outward. And then, step six. And it's not until step six. The sixth thing they did, they removed sin. Did you catch that that wasn't step one and two and three? Well, in, as we look at, let's look at it. Verse four. And the king commanded Hilkiah the high priest and the priest of the second order, the doorkeeper, to keep out or to bring out of the temple all the articles that were made for Baal and Asherah and all the host of heaven. And he burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of Kidron and carried their ashes to Bethel. And he removed the idolatrous priests whom the kings of Judah had ordained to burn incense in the high places, in the cities of Judah and the places all around Jerusalem, and those who burned incense to Baal, to the sun, to the moon, to the constellations, and all the hosts of heaven. He brought out the wooden image from the house of the Lord to the brook Kidron outside Jerusalem and burned it at the book the brook Kidron and ground it to ashes and threw its ashes on the graves of the common people. What am I talking about? He is utterly, absolutely, completely, totally abolishing all the, the pictures of sin in the whole nation. See, <laughs> we can't do it till then. You can't do it till then. If you think you can clean yourself up before God is working in your life, you are a rock. You cannot clean yourself up. You could have. Why did Jesus have to die on a cross? He had to die on a cross because we can't clean ourselves up. But as that fire revival begins to burn, as we outwardly begin to, to, to say, Lord, I'm following you. I'm doing what you're, what you're calling me. I don't care about what it looks like to everybody else or anything else. The Spirit of God starts to move in your life and God gives you the power to tear down all the idols. That's the only way sin comes down in your life. That's it. There's no such thing as, uh, as the power of will. If, if that works, why did Jesus die? Jesus died because the power of will don't work. You need the power of Jesus Christ in your life. That's what changes your life from the inside out. Giving yourself wholly and completely to him. That's what changes. Yes, why? Look what he does. It's a, we're just getting started. Verse 7, he tore down the ritual booze of the perverted persons. Uh, uh, the, the New King James is being somewhat biblically, or, or biblically, politically correct. I don't know. The, the word used in the Hebrew here in verse 7 uh, is speaking about homosexual men. Uh, that they were in the house of the Lord. The booze of the homosexual men that were in the house of the Lord, where the woman wove hangings for the wooden image. 
He brought out all the priests, the cities of Judah, defiled the high places where the priests had burned incense, from Geba to Beersheba. Also he broke down the high places at the gates that were at the entrance of the gate of Joshua, the governor of the city, which were uh, to the left of the city of the gate. Nevertheless, the priests of the high places did not come up to the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem, but they ate unleavened bread among their brethren. And they defiled Topheth. Topheth. Topheth means the drums. Topheth is what they used to call the Valley of Hinnom. That's where they used to sacrifice their children. And in order to drown out the screams of the children in the valley, they would play the drums. So they called it Topheth. He said, He defiled Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, Hinnom, that no man might make his son or daughter pass through the fire to Molech. He removed the horses the kings of Judah had dedicated to the sun, and at the entrance of the house of the Lord, the chamber of Nathan Melech, the officer who was in the court, he burned the chariots of the sun with fire. The altars that were on the roof of the upper chamber of Ahaz, uh, which the kings of Judah had made, and the altars which Manasseh had made in the two courts of the house of the Lord, the king broke them down, pulverized. He pulverized them, threw their dust into the brook. This is not just a matter of knocking stuff down. He's, he's, so it's done. Man, this is a radical. Then the king defiled the high places that were east of Jerusalem that were on the mount of the south, or I'm sorry, slow down, it'll be okay. We're on the south of the mount of corruption, which Solomon, king of Israel, built for Ashtoreth. He's tearing down stuff Solomon built. The abominations of the Sidonians, Chemosh, the abomination of the Moabites, Milcom, the abomination of the people of Ammon. And he broke in pieces the sacred pillars and cut down the wooden images and filled their places with the bones of men. So they, a good Jew won't go where dead are. So he said, I'll keep you guys from coming back here. And he filled it with the bones of men. This is a radical transformation, don't you think? Radical change. This, they're not going to go back. They're not going to go back. Those places are, are coming down. Josiah, it says, Josiah, uh, moreover, verse 15, the altar that was at Bethel, and the high place where Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, made Israel to sin. Ho, 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 I don't want you to miss this. He's not in Judah anymore. Judah was the southern kingdom. Where's he at now? He went north. He went to the kingdom that's already been conquered by the Assyrians. It doesn't even belong to him. But it was part of Israel once upon a time. And he's going up there and tearing down altars. And so he tears down the altars that Jeroboam made. And he broke them down and he burned the high place. and crushed it to powder and burned the wooden image. And as Josiah turned, he saw the tombs that were on the mountain... And he sent and took the bones out of the tombs and burned them on the altar and defiled it, according to the word of the Lord, which the man of God had proclaimed, who proclaimed these words. And then he said, What gravestone is this I see? So the men of the city said, That's the tomb of the man of God who came from Judah and proclaimed these things which you have done against the altar of Bethel. You want to read about it? First Kings chapter 13. When Jeroboam first did this, there was a prophet that came to Jeroboam and said, One day... He named Josiah by name. Josiah, who was going to be born like 300 years later. Josiah is going to come and tear this down and put the bones of the prophets on it. And every word that guy said just happened. Josiah didn't know nothing about it. He didn't even have the word. He just read it. 
And they told him, this is the prophet, so he didn't put that prophet's bones on it. And he said, let him alone. Let no one move his bones. So they let his bones alone, the bones of the prophet who came from Samaria. Now Josiah also took away all the shrines of the high places that were in the cities of Samaria. Oh, oh, you guys remember what kingdom that's in? That used to be the capital of Israel, the northern kingdom. He's all the way up in Samaria. Which the kings of Israel had made to provoke the Lord to anger. And he did to them according to all the deeds he did in Bethel. And he executed all the priests of all the high places who were there on the altars, burned the men's bones on them, and then he returned to Jerusalem. Man, you want to talk about making an outward sign that there's a new creation going on? <clears throat> That's radical transformation, isn't it? Couldn't stop that guy. Sunday we heard about Paul who was so wanted to see people saved that he's preaching and they stone him and leave a pile of stones on him and the disciples stand around him rubbing their heads. What are we going to do now? And them stones start rumbling a little bit and Paul says, hey, I'm still here. And he gets up and walks back into the city. How do you stop somebody like that? That's somebody where the fire of revival is burning in their heart. You can't put it out. You can't pour water on it. You can't stop it. That's what's going on with Saeed in Evan Prison. It's happening around the world in a variety of different men and women. And it is my distinct prayer that it will happen here. Same thing. You don't got to be stoned. <laughs> Actually, it helps if you're not. But you don't got to be stoned or in prison. or You just got to go home and draw a circle and climb in it and say, start with me and let God do his thing. Well, I can't leave you without the seventh thing. Last thing. Well, they return to the Lord's Supper. What do you mean? Well, look. And the king commanded all the people, saying, Keep the Passover to the Lord your God, as it is written in this book of the covenant. The people had not kept the Passover. They had not been keeping Passover. All that time. No Passover. They, they kept Passover. How does that translate to you and I? Well, what do we call the Passover? Well... That was the night Jesus took the, the bread and he broke it. And he said, this bread is what? My body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You remember? And he took the cup and he said, this cup is the, the, the blood of the new covenant. My blood shed for you. Do this what? In remembrance of me. The seventh thing is we enter into communion with God. That's the, I don't, I, we'll talk more about it maybe next time. I, I won't keep you all night. But listen. Paul said, the reason some of you are sick and dying is because you do not value the Lord's Supper. You ever think about that? Or you just think that's for the people who take it wrong? You tell me who's worthy. When the Bible says, uh, only take the Lord's Supper if you're worthy. You think that means if you're good enough? If you didn't sin this week, if you didn't fight with your wife on the way to church, if you didn't scream at your kids, is that what you think it means? Because if that's what it means, there, none of us in here are worthy. What's it mean to be worthy? How do we ever, the word worthy means to be of equal weight with. 
How can we ever be of equal weight with the sacrifice of Jesus Christ? There's only one way. Do you know what it is? He's got to be your Lord and Savior. He's got to be your Lord and Savior. That means He's the one who saves you. He's the one who calls the shots. He is it. The seventh thing in revival is we have communion with Him. We will value the Lord's Supper. What's the Lord's Supper? He said that the, He gave us one thing to do until He returns. Do you know that? I mean, the Jews had seven feasts. He gave the church one. <laughs> one. He said, do this until I come back. And we do it together in my Father's house. Until then, you do this. Man, having value to the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made, I think that's an issue in the church. And I think that's something that revival takes care of. They started doing the Passover again. They started valuing the Passover. When you can do it, the beautiful thing about it, we can do it corporately and you can do it at home. You don't need me to bless the bread and the cup. What a great way to to teach our kids. We'll revisit more of that because there's like, oh, I don't know, five million other things rattling around in my head. We'll save it for, for next time or, or we'll be here all night. But please, Josiah was eight and he started to fall in love with the Lord. Not ever too early. It's not ever too late. Moses was 80 before God used him. It's never too early. It's never too late to draw that circle in your prayer closet and say, God, let this revival begin with me. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, we just thank you for this time that we can spend together, Lord, as we uh, just consider your word. Ah, the... uh, the amazing beauty of this revival. I, I just, uh, God, I just love it. I just love, uh, I love Hezekiah, Lord Jesus. I love Josiah. I love it when you, you do some radical things through people who are willing to say, I'll be a fool for Jesus. And Josiah, he didn't stop. He didn't always listen. But neither do we. But he wouldn't stop, man. He he tore it all down. He obliterated it all. But he didn't start by obliterating it all. He started by letting God get a hold of him. And God working in him. And, and the word of God bringing him into alignment. And, and recognizing, man, I need help. How do I do this? And calling on the name of God and God bringing him a word. And Lord, you just started with one life. And it spread all over a nation. Started with one life in Wales and it spread all over that entire
community. You can start with one life here. But there's more than one of us here. What could God do? The room of men and women who said, I'll give it all. Lord God, we just pray that you would bring revival in our time. Your word declares that that you will revive us again. That you long to revive us. That you will do a perfect, awesome, incredible work. If we'll allow you, you'll do it. God, I pray that we would make that choice. I pray, Lord, that you would just continue to guide us and lead us and direct us. Lord God, that we would say, it is high time for a change and it's got to start with me. You do that work, Lord Jesus, in us. And we give you all the praise for it. In Jesus' name. Amen.